0: Hey y'all, this is Mallory Irvin, and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Fully podcast. I am pumped to bring my friend Coach Mike on the podcast today. Mike Bayer, if you don't know him, is a New York Times bestselling author and personal development coach whose mission is to help people achieve sound mental health in order to become their best selves. Mike spent the earlier years of his career as a drug and alcohol counselor. He is board uh, registered as an interventionist, and in 2005, Mike founded CAST Centers, which is one of the leading dual diagnosis treatment centers, and they're located in Los Angeles, California. Mike has worked in the field in a variety of capacities, including team building within corporations, keynote speaking for numerous events, and Fortune 100 companies, as well as providing creative workshops. Mike and I have been friends for a while now, and where you guys may have seen Mike also is on the Dr. Phil Show. I think he's done... I don't even know the number, but the last time I talked to him, maybe it's like close to 40 episodes. He is highly sought after in a lot of spaces, but it's really cool to see my friend Mike on the Dr. Phil show, which I watch all the time. So I wanted to bring Mike on today to just talk about being our best selves and how making decisions, which is something that we do thousands and thousands of times each day, can really transform your life if you make them in a certain way. So looking at decisions in a little bit of a different life and truly becoming the best, most authentic versions of ourselves with my funny, fun, and wild friend, Coach Mike. So I'm very excited to bring my friend, Coach Mike, on to the podcast today. Hey.
1: Hey, hey, Mallory.
0: Mike and I have been talking for like 20 minutes off camera. I wish you guys could be a fly on the wall of some of our friend conversations because they're, they're full of meat and juiciness, but you
1: know. They're definitely not vegan.
0: (laughs) They're definitely not vegan. (laughs) Coach Mike is a friend and he's just like the coolest, most fun guy in this space. And here's what I I love about you, because a lot of people in the self-help space they're super serious, super serious about the methods, super serious about the way they deliver it, super serious about like, this is how you got to get from point A to point B. But with Mike, it's a party and not like a party to where it can't be serious because you have helped people recover from drug addictions. You're go, you've you been on 40 or 50 Dr. Phil episodes, like you're the real deal, but you're fun and you're vibrant and it's like a self-help and like bettering yourself is fun. And that's what I love. That's
1: what I love about you. Oh, thank you. Well, I I worked in treatment many years ago. And so you have supervisors. You have different types of supervisors. You really get a sense of how people carry themselves when they're working with clients and not working with clients. And I think what, yeah, it's like everyone makes mental health so serious, but if, if there's no fun, it's like. I'm, what's the point? I feel like the seriousness probably comes from like academia and like the stigma. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, and I've had a lot of people tell me before, I can't take you seriously. Yeah. And I, I've had that, I've had that definitely online. But like on the other end, I've had more people that are like keep being you and doing you and, and, Those are the people I want to hang out with. Like if you can be yourself and other people love you, it's like then you're just hanging out with your friends. And that's why I love you so much. It feels like we're hanging out.
0: And it's like the subject of everything that you're putting out there now, which is so cool about like making this decision to just be yourself. And you've embodied that. And but what I really also love about your background is, you know, you used to be an interventionist. So in like a world renowned interventionists some of the stories that i read i remember mike's first book is called best self and i remember reading some of these stories about like your big interventions and you know I, I know i know some interventionists and i you know if you're a person that's listening to this you can watch it on tv you can watch interventions like you know interventions are these very high stress volatile you, this is the what do you call it like the last house on the block like this is the end of the road like that's when the change has to be made. So for you to be the person that gets brought in for the real deal, life or death, like change, I think that speaks the most highly of you, because I I think that's a really hard job. Do you miss doing interventions?
1: I do miss it a little bit, to be honest. The reason I miss it selfishly is that you get to create hope and faith in an instant with the people that bring you in. And and even with the person, it's almost like by you being in a vehicle of change, you literally, because it's the last house on the block, and some people won't show up at that house anymore. They're burnt out. They're over it. They're like, See you later, you know,'re I, I wrote you off. Let me know when you want to make amends. But it's just such a cool thing. Like unlike bodies and physical health, mental health, you can change so quickly and in a moment. And I just love seeing people have hope and faith in life,
0: yeah. and what what do you think is the breakthrough in all the interventions that you've done? I'm sure it's different with everyone, but is it some breakthrough that they themselves make with something that's said or something that's said with a family member or with you, or is, is there like a light switch that goes off?
1: Well, I think the light switch goes off for the people who bring me in like the family or employer or the friends. I help their light turn on first. The person, the person I'm intervening on, like, Half the time they're not even fully present. So like they're like, <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get things regulated before, you know, they and usually once they go somewhere, they're pretty mad at the people that really care about them. So I would say it's the family's light that turns on. And then they start going, oh my gosh, this worked. And and yeah, I mean, it's it for the people you intervene on, like I just worked with someone on Dr. Phil two days ago. And chronic alcoholic female, and you know, who had who had been very dishonest, has kids, and you know, she was saying to me that she was ready to change, but people will often say, I want to change, or I want help. And help is a transaction. So how I offer help may be very different than another interventionist or a family friend. And so and some people when they're offered help they'll be like, "Yeah, I'll do that, but I won't do that and I won't do that." And I don't have a god god complex thinking my way is the only way, but you sometimes can see very quickly through somebody's actions, not their words, if they mean it. And I just I think it's just so great that people can change. It's fun. You know, I was talking to someone, his name's Michael Shores and his mom, Shara Lee. He called me last week. He's from, um, I was Oklahoma City and Shara uh, Lee and I intervened on him in a trailer and he's 11 years sober and he wants to know if I can help his uh, niece with a job out in LA. But it's just like, when you, when you get those phone calls, you're just like, awesome
0: what are the similarities between someone with a true addiction and someone that is just ha, has the life and the light sucked out of them? Like, how do you intervene with that person? Like with some of that same stuff?
1: Well, I think the difference is, and, and I, you know, I, like you said, I've had a treatment center for over 15 years and I've worked with the range from everything from like, someone who's willing to make millions of dollars and they're making a million a year and they're a big music executive to like the person that can't get out of bed. I know it seems like a little jack of all trades, but I also know for myself when I'm just not the right fit, you know, like I, I, so I'm not for everyone, but I think the difference is, there's similarities and differences. The difference I would say is with addicts and alcoholics, there's more dishonesty, dishonesty with others and themselves. The person who can't get out of bed needs like a coach who's like, I got you, girl. We're getting up. I know I'm a hot mess too, you know, and add some humor and some flavor and some like, oh, you wake up good. You know, like it's got to be like energy. And then also like, depending, like some people need medication, some people don't, but it's also... It's almost people who are clinically depressed, I find they need more of like a really strong ally, whereas with addicts and alcoholics, they need more confronting around their dishonesty.
0: That's a great way to kind of differentiate, because I do feel like some of those things bleed into each other, just like dealing with those types of things in my life, like I I understand like where you can see the patterns and like the bleeding back and forth. And like when I watch you on the Dr. Phil show, confronting these, whether it's a guy that's in his mom's basement that is playing video games 24 hours a day that like the family has just had enough, but like they just don't have to get up and go or whether it's a mother of three that cannot get sober. Your authenticity and like how you approach it is it's like you approach it in a similar way which is interesting to me so that's why I wanted to ask that question i love the things that you share on instagram too like i was i was reading something that you posted recently and you were saying something like when you when you copy others you limit yourself which i i, I don't know why that like struck a nerve with me in the space that i'm in it's a lot of the same stuff that people do and i think people get really caught up in copying other people or maybe moms listening to this podcast caught up in copying other mothers. But I thought that was really interesting because I think it's so true. And I I just shared on a podcast recently how I think Jamie Kern Lima actually said this on the podcast. She was talking about how like comparison is such a distraction. And when you said like limiting yourself, it just like reaffirmed that belief. And that really struck a nerve with me.
1: And and I think to that to that point, the challenge with it is you don't get as quick a results as copying other people. So if you copy other people, the reward will happen quicker because everyone can understand it and it's easy. If you march to your own beat, it'll take a lot longer. However, you probably eventually it comes and the people come that connect to it. But I think it's it's hard, right? Like sometimes it's like it's easier just to kind of go like, well, I'll just do what they're doing. hmm
0: hmm Yeah. But I do, I think it just gets us off of our own path. And you're all about authenticity and and unveiling this person in your life that you truly are. You know, in in the book, in the newest book, In in One Decision, it's kind of like all about that. But in this really cool vehicle of decisions, of making decisions, how you say, what, 35,000 decisions is what we make in a day and how our real life changes come down to decisions that blew my mind. It was very fascinating to me. And I started thinking about the decisions that I make, the tiny things that I do, the tiny habits, the little decisions, the decisions to do or not to do. And it's made me really conscious of how tiny little things can really make a big difference in a good way or a bad way. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about that because it's what the whole book is based on. And you said you didn't expect to start writing about that, right? Like you just come off the huge success of best self and you were like, kind of like wind out of your sails.
1: I never, I mean, no, and I never expected to write a book. I I flunked twice and I got held back twice. I was the oldest senior in my high school. <laughs> and uh kind of
0: funny. I'm just laughing because I like how you just deliver it.
1: <laughs> I was, the old, I was at, at freshman year of high school, beginning of freshman year, I was driving. That's how old I was.
0: Beginning of freshman year. Wow, you were popular then. Yeah,
1: I in September nineteenth my birthday, and so school year started I think in like August or September. So already I had a car. I had a Mercury Sable, white beauty, and so I I can tell you that like, you know, for some people they're really passionate about writing. I know, like I can't wait to read your book when it comes out because I feel like. It's going to have so much flavor, and I'm just excited to, to dig into it. I know it's a long ways out, but hopefully I get to make this copy quicker. And I know we were talking about covers, and you're in the cover phase, which is always really exciting and fun. And it's a decision. Like, we get to make a decision if it's fun to look at covers, or we may get to make a decision to feel anxiety over it. And it's it's all a choice. And the whole – it's almost like the journey – I get stuck in this still to this day, even with the second book. I mean, it took me forever to figure out the cover because originally I felt like they were trying to make me look like Gabrielle Bernstein and she had her arms Who who I love. (laughs) I love her too. But I had the same, she had the same photographer that I had and they had the same setup.
0: It is similar.
1: It Uh is. And so like, no, I'm, I'm a man, you know, I look different (laughs) When you when you write a book, or at least for me in the self-help space, I kind of go on a journey. I found that to make changes in somebody's life and to have it kind of bridge off my first book that I need to help people make decisions. That was kind of. And then by the time the like I'm already wanting to write a book about resentments. that's the next chapter. I have this vision. So as a gay guy, I have this vision of this opening scene and I want to record it. To where i go to a gay conversion camp and they i go through two days of it in real life because i want to be a vehicle to show that you can get along with people who have different opinions than you you can still like i can still have dinner with people i don't need to be polarizing and i just think it's like a fun concept granted i may end up through the concept and i'm like get me out of here but but you know it's 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 kind of like whatever is really passion, you know, passion driven. And I, in the clinical space, they call it cognitive distortions. That's when you look at life through a certain lens. And then I just got really, I started having people from Facebook show up at my house. I I put a posting out so I'd help people make one decision in 45 minutes. So all the stories in the book are literally pretty much the transcriptions from the audio I recorded, helping people make one decision. And I just, it's so simple. It just kind of helps create an easier roadmap because life can just feel overwhelming. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that. Like you just used the example for me, which is something that I am dealing with. So I've got these covers it, but it, it's for some reason, it's producing anxiety. Like, I'm not going to get it right. We're not going to get the cover right. Do we choose this picture or this picture of this picture? They're totally different vibes. But if I can look at it as like, I have a decision to either be excited about this process or super stressed, that makes it like bite-sized and easy of your like identity that you never really came out as gay publicly. Like, when you did Best Self, you didn't, right? I knew because as your friend, I I just knew. But so what made you decide? It's really hard to keep that, I'm sure, out of the public. It's
1: a very weird thing because you, like, I'm not at all private about being gay. But I also, like, there's a few things. One is I come from the school of thought when you're helping people. You don't reveal too much of your own life because you're trying to give them the best Experience to help them, so like that was holding me back a little bit. Where I was always, and then I because this thing being in the public eye is new for me, it's been two and a half years, you know. I've worked behind the scenes for so many years, and so the other part was I didn't really have a reason. This one I help people figure out what are their three most authentic decisions they can make in their life, so I felt like okay, well, this was definitely one of the decisions I made that was really important and authentic, so I put it in there. And I also feel like, I mean, I was getting a lot of glitter perfume letters. I was becoming kind of like romanticized a lot. And I just didn't know what to do with it. Like that, like it was all these slices. Like, I don't want to feel dishonest, but what am I gonna do? Every time say to the person, like, like, hey, I and like I didn't know. I never know like when I'm supposed to say something outside of like my friends cuz it seems like I'm not using it as a like you know poor me or anything I just don't know I don't know when to say it
0: well, isn't it funny that we live in a world where you do have to constantly define yourself to strangers, like you say about social media, like you and your friend, like Lady Gaga's creative director that you always talk about. I think you said once that he said, or you said, like all these people have access to you now. It should be a privilege, you know, to have access. And you said you got all these people that now you've invited into your life that you wouldn't be inviting to the barbecue. So now we live in this world, I guess, where people are like, well, who are you? What do you believe? Who did you vote for? What is your ethnicity? And you're this, and you're that. And they use that in a way to define who we are before we tell them who we are. Show Yeah, them. And I,
1: I I'm with you. Like, I, I don't, I don't put out there who I voted for. I'm like, why? When I grew up, no one cared. Yeah, and I was like, it
0: can be private.
1: Yeah. It can be private. And on top of that, like I'm saying, like that is one description in a 10,000 descriptions. I mean, we don't, and it's just like just because someone has different beliefs than me doesn't mean that I can't be friends with them and get along with them. And I think that concept people really like to quiet for some reason on the internet. And, and I also think, yeah, I mean, people believe. It's funny. I, I was looking at this post. I'm friends with uh, Kim Zoliak. She's on. Uh, oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I like her. Mm-hmm.
1: So Kim Kim posted this image and I looked at it today and it's funny because the dress looks like it's like a dress that you can't see. It's it's a right.
0: It, and the bottom is the strip of black. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: And someone uh, goes, hey, Kim, I'm not a fan of the dress. And then she responded and said, no one asked you, sweetie. and And then a, a bunch of comments were like, well, if you put it up this is opinion it's like when do people become entitled like
0: I know uh oh you preach it to
1: the choir <laughs> and it's and it's uh, it's an odd thing because there's this idea that somehow you have to accept other people's thoughts about you and I guess
0: or address them
1: or or address them right yeah
0: mm-hmm even if they're completely false,
1: <laughs> but I just block them.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you have to create a positive space for yourself. Used to like back in the day, it's like, what are their message boards or there's tabloids or whatever? Like just don't read them. But now it's like your personal open forum of a space of social media, which so many great things come through social media. Do you get,
1: do you get Does does it get under your skin at all?
0: Oh yeah, it's a it's an issue for me, and it always has. It's one of my deep rooted things. Like I want everyone to like me, and if they don't, or if they believe something incorrect about me in particular, I want to go to them and be like, "Can I tell you the truth about like what it actually is?" Because then you would like me, I think. (laughs) Like, and it's just it's so absurd, and it's something that I have to constantly work on, especially being in this this space. And the space is kind of scary.
1: What is is it more like for in Do you find for you is there specific things? Is it like if people are critical of how you look or what you do or what you don't do or family? There's more
0: particular things that get under my skin more than others. It's really easy to dismiss when somebody didn't like an outfit or when somebody didn't like the color that you painted your walls. But when they say something about your parenting or like sleep training or not sleep training or breastfeeding or not breastfeeding, or if they say something like, you know, my, my family came from nothing. And then my dad was really successful. If they think for some reason that I have anything in my life because of that, that's a particular one that gets me. Or if they ask like it's for some reason, it's not okay for some people that Kyle works with me within my business. And they seem to think maybe that like a man has to have either made all this money that he's got like somewhere for the woman to be successful or that like you can't be someone that provides for your family, like doing things in this space. And those kind of questions are funny to me, but they that one doesn't get under my skin as much because I'm like, I mean, if you don't, if you don't get it by now, like look at all these other bloggers, like they're doing it too. Like it's, and influencers and podcasters and stuff. You, It's a very lucrative career. It can be, but people just don't want to believe that what they see as on the outside, an easy career can, can be that sometimes. And I'm talking about a very small group. The people that listen to this podcast that are on my social medias, I, I always say, I don't get a lot of hate. I have people that really want to live better lives that like seeing somebody else live a vibrant life that like walking through hard things together, but supporting people. And you seem like you've got a good community too, but like you, you see a lot of these reality stars or certain accounts that just are flooded with hate. And I hate that for them. It took you so long to get into the space of mental health, like self-help because you thought it was a little snake oily, which Kyle, my husband, often talks about the space of self-help as like snake oil. And it's, it's, it's funny because sometimes it is a little snake oily, or people are repeating what other people have said, maybe, or someone is teaching as they're learning, which isn't always bad. But if you're saying like, this is the absolute way, and I've figured it out completely without giving the disclaimer, like, hey, I struggle with this too. I'm letting you in on my journey. I think that can get a little fishy. Tell me what it was that changed your mind because eventually you did, you know, kind of jump into this space. Like what changed your mind? Was it people that you met? Was it Dr. Phil, this, this cool meeting of Dr. Phil that like became this big break for you? What, what was it that did that for you?
1: Yeah, I think, well, I think I wasn't, I mean, we do this, we can overgeneralize with any group of people. And sometimes when we overgeneralize, we just use it as a reason or excuse not to take any risk or be vulnerable or explore. I mean, Dr. Phil changed my opinion about helping people on television, like because we actually... It's it is all real. Like it there's you know, you get a hundred and twenty-page biopsych social practically before even the episode, and learn so much. And they do such a deep dive and talk to third parties and get video and and like but he's I, I think in the self-help world, like Dr. Phil's kind of iconic. He kind of is an island of his own. In this other world, there's a lot of coaches and they say a lot of different things. And I think I would see a lot of these coaches like, look, I I did work with entertainers for many years. And but then I would hear all these coaches that like I work with A-list celebrities. I'd be like, I've never even like, you know, usually it wasn't a lot of people working in Hollywood.
0: Yeah. Like, so you would small. know. Them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or hear of them. And then in the coaching world, there were thousands of them that like work with celebrities Not that it mattered because it doesn't matter if you like, I don't even know why that is in culture, a reason for someone to go, that person's great. Like anyone can work with a celebrity, live in LA and kiss ass. I mean, I don't know, (laughs) like it's not that big of a deal, you know, but I think the other part was I come from a world where You don't upsell like people are viewed as vulnerable. So if people come to me for help, I can't use that as an opportunity to then sell them on something because they're vulnerable. And so when you're trained as a counselor, a therapist, in my case, a counselor, you just learn that. I still struggle with it from time to time with feeling, I think it does limit me a little bit. I could do more outreach and connect with other people.
0: Yeah. But I also think it's cool how you don't sell anything. You have the free empowerment group, like everything that you do is, is free except for your books, which books can't, I mean, it's not a method of things that people really do for free. I think it's a probably muscle memory, like you just said, from, from you being in actual addiction counseling for years and years. But I also think it's very endearing and it, it shows that you're the real deal. Like
1: well, and then take, I, I think, sorry to jump in, but the no. model is like, I don't, you know, people talk about their communities and the community that I want around me is people were like, I'm not idolized. I would rather be like flawed and myself and, you know, honest. And so I got kind of intimidated by some of these communities where people are idolized because I just was like, I, that feels like a lot of pressure and I don't, I don't know. kind of, I think that was a little intimidating for me, you know?
0: I like the dedication from the book too. And I, I just want to read it actually, because I think it's a cool dedication because everybody's always like to my mom and my blank, but you said, I dedicate this book to those who want to better But don't know where to start, to those who feel something is different but haven't yet embraced it, and to those who may have lost themselves a bit, but are ready to make the first step to a better life. I think that's a really cool dedication. And I want to hear what when you say the first step to the to a better life, what's usually the first step? Like for most people? I know it's different from a a lot of people, but do you think there's one true first step or one that's more common? that people make when bettering their life?
1: Yeah. So I, in, in both books and in one decision, I do an assessment. I love an assessment and they're quick and they're easy. I think the first step is like going through a simple assessment. Like I have it in one decision. You can write in it and, and rate areas of one's life. Cause sometimes it's confusing. Like one area it's, it's if someone's feeling like, okay, I, I don't know what area of my life to improve now. I just know I need more money, or I know I need to go to the gym, or I need to lose weight. But it's like, let's just kind of put them in compartments and let's like like I've seen your pantry and figure out like what needs to be stocked more and what do we maybe have too much of and what have you. So it's got it's kind of like that. And I think the first step is assessing life and then once in one decision we talked about okay we'll let we now assess it what is the thing that you're motivated to change like just even if something's rated really low like look like my upstairs attic probably needs to be cleaned a lot more than my new podcast room here but like i'm more motivated to clean this podcast room like I'm going to clean the podcast room. So some things like, it could be that they're not rated well, but they're not that important to you. It doesn't mean it's that. So, and then once we figure out, okay, here's an area and we're motivated, what is one decision we can make that would better align one's life? And so- Usually that framework is really helpful for any area. And then there's a series of other decisions that have to take place. The
0: acronym, what's the acronym force?
1: Yeah, the force. use for
0: like how to make the decisions. Yeah, which is really cool in the book, which I use now when I make a decision. Yeah, that, that that's I love how you simplify things like that. It's it's almost like a little bit um you know, when you're dealing with someone that has an addiction or sobriety, like, and you're talking about those steps, it's sometimes pretty obvious when life gets to the unmanageable stage, like everything's just out of like, you're either going to die or your family's going to leave you or you're going to be homeless or you're going to, you know, it just gets really bad. But when people are just, hmm. Like, nah, you know, they just don't want to get out of bed. Maybe you're to the point where you're in the basement playing the video games, but maybe you've just lost your luster for life. It's so hard, I think, for people to spot that. I love that you just talked about the step in the way that you did because I think that's a way of when things are really ambiguous and you don't know what's going wrong, but you know something's going wrong, that's a way to bring it to the surface. And I think that's a very tangible thing that people can use. I like it that you just said that.
1: And, and yeah, and I think others are, and we forget, especially if we're, like I said, I like to talk to the person who's all alone, like has nothing, like, you know, or just someone going through like a bad breakup or divorce, you know, like, cause it's, I don't know, I just like helping people get out of pain and into like feeling better about themselves.
0: Well, and you also, you also say, like I do that, like pain is, man, the times that I I had the worst crash and burn moments in my life, it was the opportunity for everything that became good in my life. But no, everybody just wants to avoid those spots or turn the other way until they get through them. And you and I both say that about these curveballs in your life or these, I forget what you call them, about just obstacles being the opportunity, you know, opportunity for change or something. It's so true, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all how we look at life. You know, it's every obstacle truly is an opportunity. If we make one decision from viewing life as an obstacle, the outcome is never quite as an alignment or great for our lives. But if we make one decision by viewing it as an opportunity, it's more in alignment with who we are and what we want. And people are so important. To like some of this is yes, at the end of the day, we only have ourselves. However, and that's why I was saying even the person who's alone, it's like get your ass away from being alone and start connecting with other people. And who are you going to pick up the phone and who are you going to call and get out of this pity party that they don't call you and take some action? And like, because we need each other. Like, like, unless someone's a total narcissist, it's it's impossible. I believe to feel like vibrant and whole without other people. And it's the same reason why we've all experienced that. We've gone pre COVID to a party that we really didn't want to go to. And we left the party and we're like, Oh my God, that was amazing. And it was so good to catch up with them. Right. Because we're around other people and there's the unpredictability. We think we know, but life and others, like, The danger is when we're all, and that's, what's been really hard for people during COVID. But I mean, like I look at your life with, you know, your family and your husband and just everything you guys do. And it just, it gives a life to life.
0: Yeah. Gives a life to life. I like how you said that. Yeah. Yeah. it does and Lord knows we aren't going to miss a party. Now, everybody misses people and you realize like all those things that you said no to you wish you may have said yes to because sometimes it takes like getting something taken away from you to realize dang it. I should have said yes all those all those times. Well, this has been an awesome podcast and we've covered so many different things and you I love how you talk about like your alternate self, like who's Merlin the wizard. And I love how you talk about like getting rid of the darkest thing within you. That's like the boogeyman. You have these just really creative and, but effective. They're not like playthings; They are very effective ways at getting it out of things that so commonly hold us back in our lives that are so cool. And people have to read this book if they want to make a change in their lives there are the common books that are on the shelves that everybody goes to when they want to change the habits or change the life. Or, but can I just encourage you to pick up Mike's book? Because it's a completely different take and it's going to turn every self-help thing on its head, but it's going to work. And it, I just love that about you and your book, which I'll link in the show notes. And you're just super cool.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Maori. You know, we. Of course. We- I can't wait to try out your chicken bowl. I can't
0: wait for you to come and see us. And I'm going to bring Ford and Shepard to your house and rip all your art off, your beautiful art off the wall. <laughs> Mike's super into like being creative and he's super into art and everything. He's got these three cool pieces of art behind him. I wish y'all could see through this podcast and I could just see them just ripping that right off the wall. <laughs> I can't have any cool art. Yeah, we'll wait till they're a little older, I yeah. guess, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Well, you're awesome, Mike. And I I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy day to come on. Thank you. And help my people and me. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I'll link everything Coach Mike and his new book and his old book and his really cool Instagram and all his social medias in the show notes. And thank you guys so much for listening. Tune in next Monday for more. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.